Good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson, and I'm the senior pastor. Uh, We want to uh, welcome all of you here this morning, but particularly those of you who are visiting with us. We know how much courage it takes to come into a strange place and try to find your way around and and, uh, you know, look for the nearest exits, those sorts of things. And uh, thank you for being here. Um, we are kind of uh, coming to an end of this uh, non-series series uh, that we've been looking at. Uh, started off with uh, Pastor Joe's sermon on radical hospitality. And uh, this week really is sort of the finality of that, the final uh, message in that series. Next week's Labor Day. You need to come early. I understand it gets packed in here on Labor Day. <laughs> So uh, be sure to get here early so you can find a seat. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be looking at... It was, it was worth a try, right, Pastor Drew? Uh, today, we uh, want to uh, ask you to turn to Luke chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. If you don't, uh, we have Bibles out in the, at the Welcome Center. They're yours for the taking, if you want. Uh, but Luke chapter 12, uh, beginning in the 22nd verse... Of Luke chapter 12. I told Pastor Joe this morning that I really struggled with. I normally read from the English Standard Version, which is a, a re edit of the Revised Standard Version, which is a re edit of the King James, well, actually the American, and then the King James Version. Uh, that's a bunch of boring history stuff. But the message, I don't know if you've ever heard of the message. It's a newer translation, it's written by one person, uh, but it's more of a, a paraphrase, if you will. I'm going to redub it the Pastor Joe version. And uh, as we get into this text, I'm going to pause and give you the message slash Pastor Joe version. Beginning in the 22nd verse of the 12th chapter of Luke, and Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. The Pastor Joe version says, don't fuss with things that don't matter. If you know Pastor Joe, the word fuss is his third most used word after, hey, I want dessert and Jesus. Okay, back to the English Standard Version. What will you eat? Nor about your body, what will you put on? For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you fussing about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, and do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. 
Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May God open our minds to understand that which today he will teach us through his spirit. Amen. There's a call and a response to life, isn't there? I say, hi, how are you? Your response is, I'm good. And you? Unless, of course, you're one of those grammar jerks like me that says, I am well. How are you? <laughs> Y'all know who you are. Now, at that point, we're supposed to carry on with the business that we have for coming together. We're not really supposed to say, all of the things that are bothering us or all the things that are wrong with the world or complain about this or complain about that, I don't care if you've just lost your arm. If somebody says, how are you? You're supposed to say, I'm fine. How are you? I've given you three questions today, and these aren't the kind of questions that we begin every exchange with another. These are questions that are not intended to be superficial. These are questions that are not necessarily intended to be answered by me, but to be answered by God's Spirit as God speaks to you through His Word. Now I'm going to offer some suggestions of particular ways to consider and think about these questions. But let me share with you that if you just leave these questions here today, I will have failed. I want you to take these questions with you. I want you to lay these questions next to your Bible each morning or each evening when you sit down for your prayer and devotions and Bible study. I want you to think about these questions. I want you to think about what they say in your life. Now, I know it's hard. It's frightening. It's downright annoying, actually when people want to go deeper than what you're comfortable with. But I'm asking you to be willing to go deep into your minds, deep into your hearts, deep into your spirit. Now, before we begin, I want to tell you a little something that I have learned over my 20, almost 25 years of ministry that have been pretty profound to me. And that is, is I have discovered, I don't know if somebody taught it to me, I can't really remember, you know how those things go. But there's three parts of every person. Every single one of us have three parts to ourselves. The first part we have is our public part. That's the part that we don't care, that everybody knows about us or sees. It's the part that, you know, when I meet you, I want you to see the fact that I'm a friendly, smiling, happy, confident me. I never have any problems. I don't have any doubts. I'm always in control. And there's no concern whatsoever that I even allow to come into my day. It's the lying part of me. <laughs> and you have the same part. There's another portion of ourselves that's called the personal me. That's the me that only those closest to me know. People like my wife, Shauna. Some of the members of my family. Uh, this is the portion that I do everything I can possibly do to make sure that none of you know about. Then there, I don't care how many times you drive past our house. <laughs> then there is the part of me that is the very private me, the private me. 
This is the part of me that I don't even want my wife, Shauna, to know. It's sometimes even the part of me that I don't even know myself. And it is the part of me that always causes issues when my wife catches a glimpse of it over the years that we've been married. It's the part of me that I'm ashamed of. It's the part of me that I'm afraid of. It's the part of me that I hope that even God doesn't see. I think that was the moment that I finally came to where I could rest in the knowledge that God really did love me. That God knows my deepest fears. God knows my deepest doubts. God knows my deepest darkness. Some of the parts of me that I don't even know myself, God knows. Some of the parts that are going to come up at a moment when I least expect it, God knew it way back in the beginning when I was being formed in my mother's womb. And God loves me anyway. You see, that's when I was convinced. It's when I began to see this revelation that I have made it my one mission in my life and my own personal development to try to be always honest with myself and with God. Sometimes it has been painful. Most of the time it's been uncomfortable. And pretty much all of the time it's been humbling. And as I get to know myself, sometimes those private things that I don't want anybody to know come up to the personal level. We're still safe here, but then there's sometimes when that personal stuff comes up to the public level, and that's when I get in trouble. That's when Shauna tells me, you shouldn't have said that. <laughs> that's when I realize when I am caught in a remark or an idea that I realize I have a filter is just not in the tract right. <laughs> Y'all have had those moments, I know. So with that, let's take a few moments and look at these questions. Why am I anxious? Why am I anxious? Now, notice I didn't ask, what am I anxious about? That's not the question I asked you. That's the more public question, isn't it? That's the question we don't care if other folks know. We can all relate to that question. I'm anxious that this is now the seventh, almost eighth month, and we still haven't sold our house in Kentucky. I'm anxious about church finances here at South Suburban Church. Whether it's necessary or not, I'm anxious about it. I'm anxious about the ways our congregation will reach the community and world that cares less and less about matters of faith and spirituality. I'm anxious about that. What are you anxious about? You're anxious about your jobs, probably, paying your bills. You're anxious about your children's future. You're anxious about your marriage. You may be anxious about a relationship that you're in or the intensification of a relationship soon to come. Oh, my goodness, it becomes overwhelming. And as I walked into this place today, and this isn't in my notes, but as I walked into this place today, wondering how I would preach to you about anxiety and anxiousness, I actually felt intuitively a spirit of anxiety upon this assembly. I don't know if you experienced it. Maybe it's the Lord's way of making sure my filters work well today. Maybe it is a way to begin our time together saying that probably some of you have had a tough week. 
I know some of you have had a tough week. Uncertainty about your children. Uncertainty about matters of health. Uncertainty about relationships. Uncertainty about your job. Uncertainty about what tomorrow will bring. Uncertainty about what the test will be when the physician finally gives you the result. And all of you come into this place today with that anxiety. The Bible specifically mentions anxiety or worry, and this is just sort of a rough, quick count, over 365 times. So you get, there you go. You get one anxiety every day of the year. For the examples that I gave you just a few minutes ago, all those things you're anxious about, money is oftentimes the subtopic of almost all of our anxieties. As a matter of fact, the Bible pays attention to this because one out of seven of every one of Jesus' teachings talk about money. I'm always intrigued when people say, I don't know why y'all talk about money. The Bible never mentions money. One out of seven times Jesus talks about it. Well, that's actually partially true. It's not entirely true that Jesus talks about money one out of seven times, but one out of seven times when Jesus is teaching, the word money comes into the conversation. But I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But I bet all of us would agree that if we could just win the lottery, if just an old aunt would die and leave us her fortune, our lives would improve significantly. My father always said, son... Money doesn't buy happiness, but it makes misery more comfortable. (laughs) One of these days, I'm going to write a book about all of my father's one-liners. Now, the question I asked was, why am I anxious? And if you read sermons and books written on the topic, the prevailing answer will succinctly state that the reason we are anxious is because we refuse to have faith in God's sovereignty in our lives. All right, let's have our closing prayer and go home. Those answers infuriate me, and yet they're extremely prevalent. Now, okay, there may be some truth to it, but I wonder if it's a little bit more complicated than that. Because, you know, the case is that generally the real answers are significantly more complicated than they look on the level. As a culture... Would it be worthwhile to look at other basic things that mess with our emotional stability? Things like diet, the amount of rest that we're getting, our addiction to technology, the 24-hour news cycle, the Kardashians, (laughs) binge-watching, Game of Thrones. I only could do one or two episodes. I said, man, I got to go shower every time I finish watching Game of Thrones. And if you don't like that show, or if you love that show, and we need to talk, other TV shows and other forms of entertainment that revel in a dystopian wasteland of moral relativism. Maybe we're anxious because we're afraid. Afraid of what tomorrow will bring. Maybe we're anxious because the older we get, the more we realize how little we really control Maybe we're anxious because culture tells us we can do anything we want to do. We can be anything that we want to be. We can set our own priorities. And then we realize how daunting of a task that is. 
I can remember when my father would tell me what he expected of me. He said, son, you are to honor God, country, and family in that order. I was to pay my bills, tell the truth, accept the consequences for my behavior, and never expect that anything should ever be easy. Dream big, but expect to sacrifice and work hard for it, son. That I'm not owed anything except a fair day's pay for a fair day's work, and even that's up in the air. You see, of those 365 times the Bible mentions worry or not to be anxious, the text that was read today from Luke, which is more commonly known from Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, this is Luke's version. It is perhaps one of the best synopsises, synopsises, it's one of the best summaries of all of the remedies the Bible gives us for anxiety. So let's look at it for just a few moments. In this text, we are told to look around and see how God cares for the rest of his creation. How much more are we in the eyes of God than the birds of the air, or the grass of the field? The problem is, is that there's a lot of us who don't really think that we're more important than the birds of the air or the grass of the field. But there's folks here who wonder if God could love even me. And if God does love me, why does he allow all these things in my life? Sometimes the Bible reminds us not to live so much in the future that we miss the present. That's the one thing that experienced dads told me when I had kids. They said, Ike, you enjoy those kids. Enjoy them every day because they grow up quick. How many of you dads didn't get the same advice? And I tried, church. I really, really tried. And they still grew up too quick. I still have regrets. I still miss those days past. And Facebook doesn't help when they show you videos of years past. The text today also gives us another remedy. Seek his kingdom. This leads us to our second question. What does it mean to seek the kingdom? Now, we live in the constant struggle of focus and distraction in our life. For many of us, being focused on one thing can sometimes help us not be distracted by other things, but that's not always the case. When my father gave me his list of things that he expected of me, there was a certain level of clarity that was added to my life. These are the things that I needed to do in order to make sure that my father approved. Now, my wife, Shauna, will tell you that I have lived the rest of my life seeking my father's approval. Sometimes that's not been good, but other times it has been very good. It has kept me focused on the things that are important in life. God, country, family, as he would say, and in that order. I may have switched the orders up a little bit, but those three are still there. When I discipline my children, I remind them that I'm not just an authority in their life, I am the authority in their life. I don't know why you're laughing. I tell my son and my daughters, God has ordained that mothers and fathers have a duty to care and correct their children. As a matter of fact, it's the only commandment with a promise. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that I am giving you, the Bible says. I remind them that although the day may come when they won't be under our authority anymore, they will always be under the authority of someone. 
We need that. I live in mutual submission to Pastor Drew and Pastor Joe, my fellow pastors. I live in mutual submission with the elders of this congregation. I live in mutual submission to the Christian church throughout North America. Now, that doesn't mean that I always agree or that we always agree or that we're getting along, but it means we need accountability in our lives. If we're not accountable to someone or something, it is too easy for us broken, sinful human beings to go off the rail. And the verse that makes me shake with fear every Sunday morning when I get dressed to come here is from James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Like I needed that in my life. <laughs> Seek. That verb in the Greek is the second person plural. It's the part where we realize Paul was a southerner because it should say, y'all seek. (laughs) Present imperative active. That is in order. It is an expectation. It is a demand. Jesus is not saying to us, I hope y'all seek. Jesus is not saying, if you get time today and have nothing else to do, you might want to seek. Sean and I were downtown this past week, and we saw a sign that really intrigued me. It said, if you don't like garlic, go home. (laughs) This could just as easy be Jesus saying, if you don't like seeking, go home. That's important. Kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Kingdom means, well, 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 it means kingdom. <laughs> it means a reign. It means bringing ourselves in subjection to a monarch. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom? Well, some Christians today are really uncomfortable with that word kingdom. They say that that word reinforces an oppressive, male-centered understanding of spiritual reality. Yes, that's the verbiage they use. And they use other words like kingdom or commonwealth. No. Neither of those words are even close to what Jesus is saying. This isn't some family where we all get a turn to talk about our feelings and share our ideas. Nor is this some voluntary uh, assembly of subjects that agrees to follow certain guidelines and we all just bebop down the road as if things are wonderful and great. Matter of fact, it's not a democratic It's not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's not even a constitutional monarchy. You know, like in the UK, where the queen is a figurehead. Can you see God saying, yeah, I'll be your figurehead. You guys take it from here. No. No, no, no. This this is a real kingdom. Now, I know it's hard sometimes to subject ourselves to those things that are in authority over us. And so I've decided today that I am rejecting the law of gravity. Watch me float. Okay, this didn't work out how I planned it. I can imagine you and I saying, I refuse to accept the law that diet and exercise will make me a healthy person. From now on, it's cookies and cake. 
see me roar. (laughs) There are some things that you know you have no other option but to submit to their authority. And the same is true with our faith in God. Remember earlier when I talked to you about how scholars say that Jesus talked about money one out of seven topics? He, he does talk about money quite a bit. The number, but, but the number one thing that Jesus talks about is this, the kingdom of God. Jesus mentions the kingdom of God 165 times in the Gospels. So what does it mean to seek the kingdom of God? Well, we've already looked at how we're called to submit to the reign of God. But the irony is that our monarch rules differently than other monarchs. I'm almost done. Actually, that's not true. I'm just using that to get your attention back. (laughs) You know, most leaders use anxiety as a way to control us, don't they? Political candidates will say in the upcoming months, aren't you excited? If you don't vote for me, the world will go to hell. Excuse me. Anxiety and fear is what keeps us in line. But here's the thing. Our monarch doesn't ever use anxiety for that purpose. As a matter of fact, our monarch seeks to free us from anxiety. Our monarch does something even more monumental. He takes the throne and throws it away. And rules instead from the cross. You see, it's from the cross that the enemy is defeated. It's from the cross that his subjects are saved and kept safe. It is from the cross that he teaches us that the way of life is the way of suffering. It is from the cross that he shows us that the Son of God became human so that humanity could become the sons and daughters of God. And we have entered into his throne room of grace. We bowed the head. We have bent the knee. And we expect it to be addressed as his subjects. But as we listened for his voice, he spoke to us with these words. Rise, son. Stand up, daughter. You are my children, my beloved. You see, I've asked you finally this question. What is God giving me? What is God giving you? Verse 32 says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is giving you the kingdom. Again, second person plural. Giving y'all the kingdom. Now before you get excited, remember what this kingdom is. (laughs) We're being given the call to reign But not from a throne, but from a cross. What a little thing for those of us who have been given the kingdom to give to the poor. Back to the money versus kingdom in the Gospels. Yes, Jesus does talk about money an awful lot. Mainly because money tends to be the biggest rival to the kingdom of God. Our trust, our hope, our faith is in our finances. But you see, what happens when we seek the kingdom is that we come to understand what is of highest value. People, not possessions. Family, not fame. And we discover that the true treasure 
and therefore the true pleasure of life is a life lived every day in Christ. O oh God, your word has laid before us a daunting call. A call to give you our anxieties as we receive the mantle of your kingdom. Lord, when we leave this place, we'll probably leave with more questions than answers. And we trust that that's a good thing. Because in that seeking of your will, your presence, your knowledge, we will discover more fully what it means to live a life in Christ. And so we ask not today that you'll remove and sweep away the anxiety carried by those in this room. But in the midst of their anxiety, in the midst of our fear, that you'll speak to us in such a way that we will not misunderstand. You are our monarch. And we are your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.